0: Hi, and welcome to This Week in Cardano, your source for all relevant major updates on the Cardano ecosystem. And it's Sunday today, and we have such an important and very interesting topic that we decided to jump on after breakfast to share this with you. So how was your coffee, Suraj?
1: (laughs) It was great. (laughs) And I'm really excited to talk about the topic we have selected for this week. And it's a very interesting, like move faster and break things.
0: Yes. So let's jump on it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. So as you already said, our topic today is move fast and break things and we want to shed some light on this easily said phrase. Where is it coming from? Where has it already been successfully implemented? And like in which areas maybe is this not such a useful approach to development? And Suraj, you basically came up with this topic and you did lots of research on it. So yeah, how how does the topic appear to you? How did it come up?
1: First of all, let me also thank Pizza Knight, Emmanuel, <laughs> for helping me with this topic because we'll be releasing this as articles in polls And it's an interesting topic, move fast and break things or move slow and steady or move slow and be right. You could say it in different ways. It just talks about the different developmental philosophies of Ethereum and Cardano. But we have to go a little back to see where this move fast and break things approach is coming from and why is it such a widely adopted approach?
0: Yeah, widely, w- widely implemented and used approach for software development and also other exactly. kind of projects. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. So that is a topic for discussion for this week and let's get into it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So maybe, what does it even mean? Like move fast and break things. If somebody like would hear that for the first time, it's more like a philosophy, right? It's not, it's not like a methodology or a framework. It's more like a philosophical approach to things, to development, right?
1: It is definitely a philosophical approach, not only to development, you can also apply it in your personal life. Also, (laughs) uh, yeah, like it it actually encourages failures and is important for a human being to accept and go through failures and learn from it and move forward. And Mm. that is a very reasonable, not very reasonable, that is one approach that one person can use. And in this aspect, we are talking about the developmental philosophy of move fast and break things. Mm-hmm. And you know much more about this, how this development philosophies and what approach you take while building a software and stuff like that. You being like managed many projects, you, you know, the evolution of this approach. So maybe you can walk us through the origin and evolution of this approach, actually.
0: Yeah, so there are lots of concepts behind that. And I think uh, when it really erased in public, we see Facebook as a project, so that was in when was it like two thousand five or something? But initially the idea or uh, like the um, a framework which is kind of related to this idea is scrum as a development framework, like developing pieces of software in iterations like in really short cycles, so you work in those two to four week sprints, define a goal for the sprint and then have like an iteration and feedback loop let's say with the customer and this is also embedded so this has been developed in like let's say 95 this came up like as a common approach in software development, and this has been embedded like an agile, in this agile movement. So this started in, in the early 2000s when people started to develop things in an agile way. So what is the contrasting to this agile way? It's a waterfall approach, mainly in project management. So you define from the beginning to the end, every step of your project, instead of acting in an agile and flexible way to a changing environment or to changing circumstances or to changing conditions, or even if you have additional knowledge, you would change some things. So in the waterfall, you, let's say you have big projects, you define from the beginning to the end, how is the outcome looking like in two years from now, and then step-by-step you work like in a waterfall principle, work towards this goal. And like as a contrasting approach would be this agile approach. And I think also scrum would be called a methodology within this agile settings. And you also mentioned as failure, which I find really interesting. This is more a cultural thing because people don't like to do, like to fail, like, right? This is nothing people want to do. I think instead of calling it failure, it's like a learning. So we learned this doesn't work. How can we do it differently? Right?
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. And thank you for elaborating on that particular topic of like pointing out the differences between those two approaches. And coming back to the topic of Facebook, like Facebook has been the poster child of this particular developmental philosophy, like move fast and break things. Because the moment when they were starting Facebook, they had challenges in a sense that they had other established companies, not exactly in a a, a social media setup, but they really need to go ahead and make their moves and get ahead of the curve. And the approach they made is like, okay, let's make changes or many, many, many experimentations and learn from the data and tweak your product depending upon that that data and take one metric or one or two metric as the North Star metric. And depending upon the data, which tells you, okay, are you going in the right direction and achieving this by putting that metric into perspective. So then move to your your goal by iterating really fast, going through this iterative cycle, experimenting and doing this experimentation. And I think this move actually, I think it has three different effects in the whole approach of this company, because first of all, it gives a whole bridge to your colleagues or the workers of the company to be courageous and don't don't be afraid to experiment and go ahead and do the thing that you are, what you think is right to do and learn from it. And second is the team stays agile and responsive in the face of uncertainty and competition. And in an early stage, when a startup really has to succeed, it needs to stay ahead of a bigger competitor. And this approach gives them that edge so I think these factors actually really contributed for Facebook to embrace this approach yeah. and be successful in that because they really achieved this 100 million and then 1 billion user mark pretty quickly following yeah. this approach.
0: I think when you look into the numbers, they had good reasons also to continue like that, right? Exactly. So if you see their financial performance, their stock performance and You called it the North star metric. They, I think the North star metric was monthly monthly active users. This was very much correlated. So there was a link between those. They saw, okay, my monthly active user numbers is growing. And at the same time, the value of the company and the stock price went up. So, okay, this is working for us very well. We go on moving fast, breaking things, acquiring more users and increasing the overall value of the company.
1: So they had every incentive, as you said, to do it. Basically this move faster and break things approach was a growth driver for Facebook, but it came with a cost, especially when it comes to the safety breaches and the vulnerabilities Facebook was exposed to. So let's take a look at the major data leaks or hacks that happened in Facebook. So the first one was in 2013. It has Facebook admits a year long data breach exposed 6 million users. That is the first biggest breach experience. And the second one was a 50 million Facebook profiles harvested for Cambridge Analytica in a major data breach. So this was a big one because this is the one that Facebook eventually paid a big fine for. And uh, later Facebook exposed up to 600 million Passwords, you know, so it is, that is crazy. And then like many million sensitive Facebook users were exposed on public web. That was in 2019, I guess. And in 2019, again, like another huge number of Facebook database exposed. And again, in 2019, over two, two 267 million Facebook users had their names, phone numbers and everything leaked on dark web. And the last one was in 2021, half a billion Facebook users information posted on hacking website. So all this came up with a big cost and a a big cost in a, in a reputation sense. So there there were every, one or two years there, there was a major hack that exposed lots, lots of user data. Mm. And eventually Facebook had to pay a five billion fine, which was which was imposed by FTC, I guess. And yeah. that was that was a big hit to their reputation and the reputation as a product and reputation as a company. But still, we saw Facebook growing like you know further. It was it is still a successful company. And right? What do you think about it? in yeah, spite think, of all these breaches it grew yeah, right
0: i think it's very interesting so from my personal experience i can say i used i stopped using facebook let's say 3 to 4 years from back and still until then so when those like there were like four or five breaches you just mentioned them only in 2019 and at this point of time i was still using facebook but i was never aware of it or paid attention to it so as you can see, me being like an, I would say, normal standard user, I didn't really care about that, you know. It's like, ah, okay, maybe I, I, I read something about this, how was it called, this Cambridge Analytica that was somehow recognized, but I never really took action back then. Yeah, it's interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, I also stopped use, using Facebook, especially when it when it felt for me that, you know, I am not finding it useful. I, I don't enjoy using it. I don't enjoy spending time with it. So that's when I stop using it. I totally understand that people have to take their data carefully, like seriously and and do it in a expose, don't expose it. But I never really care about all these hacks in Facebook. There's a reason for it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, there was not too many personal details out there. And uh, like selling this data, I never really at least I felt like I never really affected me personally. And eventually mm. when the quality of the product went down or a, a product that I was not interested in using, then I stopped using it. Yeah. So it it tells about the consequences and or like it tells about the how much users will care about such things. They don't care yeah. that much about it.
0: Yeah. And I think if we... <clears throat> So we have now seen some examples and where it is coming from. So what was, what is the other side of the medal? Let's say, so move fast and break things versus slow, but steady. So what is a slow, but steady and when should we use a slow, but steady approach instead of move fast and break things? Because we just discussed IR, it's still responsible for the growth of the company. It's nevertheless of all breaches and security issues, which come alongside with this quick development approach. So when should we then look into move fast? When should we look then into slow and steady? And for which kind of development systems is it especially important to use such an approach?
1: I think a slow and steady approach is definitely for safety critical systems. Because at the end of the day, these social media companies or these digital economy companies, they are not safety critical systems. So safety critical systems differ from the fundamentally different systems in the sense that safety critical system is a system. It could be a hardware, software, and also have human aspects that is essential for the safety and well-being of society. And if this system fails, the consequences can be severe, including human injury, death damage to property financial loss environmental damage and even catastrophic systemic effects so to design these complex safety critical systems you it, it 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 needs much more care and attention to detail so it is it is required because you should ensure reliability and effectiveness of these systems it is essential to apply thorough planning and rigorous testing to meet high safety standards. Because any mistakes during the development and implementation of such a system can have serious consequences when you implement such a project at scale. And the negative impacts and externalities cannot be actually measured or anticipated because it could be like catastrophic. So those are like safety critical systems where you need a slow and steady approach.
0: Yeah, and one example I think is the Boeing case, right? Exactly. Where we see where this slow and steady approach would save lives. So, Boeing was competing with the biggest competitor Airbus
1: yeah.
0: and instead of developing a new aircraft, they decided, "Ah, yeah, why should we waste so much time? Let's choose you. Let's use what we have, our Boeing 737 and make an extension of that. The Boeing 737
1: MAX. Exactly.
0: And yeah, was, that was like, they applied this move fast and break things. For this, for their industry, which was indeed like a safety critical system or like an industry where this slow but steady approach would be more than recommended to apply, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. This is, a, this is a, a quintessential example of move fast and break things approach being done in a safety critical environment and resulting in a big catastrophe. So there were two tragic crashes of Boeing 737 MAX aircraft in 2018 and 2019, which is a stark reminder of like what happens if you actually fuck up a safety critical system. So, yeah, true. Right. So Boeing rather than as you said rather than building a new aircraft they re-engineered this 737 existing 737 to 737 max Mm -hmm. so that re-engineering required a change in the positions of the engines on the wing which altered the aircraft's aerodynamics and that altered aerodynamics made it prone for stalling and in an attempt to address this stalling issue Boeing implemented a poorly designed and implemented a stall prevention system called MCAS, Manoeuvring Characteristics Augmentation System. So this basically this uh, maneuvering uh, due to this 737 upgrade, a larger engine can actually push up the jet nose. So let me share my screen and tell you that. Share my screen. So this is the 737 upgrade and the Aircraft has now, the seventh, compared to 737, 737 MAX has a larger engine. And the larger engines could actually push up the jet's nose, risking stall in certain conditions. So there was a software implemented that which will automatically lysis on tail by pushing down the nose. But bad sensor data could push down the nose at wrong time. So pilots try to pull up, but software pushes the nose down. So this was... And the funny fact was, not funny, it is a tragical fact, was the pilots were not actually trained to address, trained properly to work with the system. So they were not adequately briefed or trained to use the system, and it did not activate in certain circumstances. So when the MCA system malfunctioned, it contributed to crashes of two Boeing airplanes. And Mm -hmm. this tragedy actually highlights the importance of why you should be careful in a safety critical system, especially when you are making changes. So even this minor change of, or like even this this change of increasing the size of engines, and then you have to build a a software system to actually make appropriate changes to the chance of stalling, it is susceptible to due to the change of the engine size. And then the externalities of resulting in two big crashes, losing, I actually more than 300 people died in these two crashes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Facebook can still have another breach of another billion user data and everything. But at the end of the day, people may not die from it. And in contrast, there are systems where people really need to be careful while making changes. Mm-hmm. and that is that is that that is actually a sad example of how uh, companies can really you know fuck up the situation resulting in death and loss
0: mm-hmm. and this is also true for safety critical financial infrastructure so yeah. the Royal Bank of Scotland also was a poor example where where poorly tested changes to a safety critical system led to losses of millions of funds and yeah Effectively, money of people who had their funds stored at the Royal Bank of Scotland—you know, it's a centralized entity—and yeah, this this incident, this incident happened in twenty twelve, yeah, and yeah, affected, like I said, of millions of customers. Which was a software update that was corrupted and brought the bank system to a standstill, leading to financial losses and other negative impacts. So, as you can see, okay, uh, constructions or like like. The Boeing example, like a production area, affecting people, financial infrastructure, not being able to provide funds or even leading to losses. So those examples are showing to really wisely choose your development approach for underlying software systems, which are the foundation and the basement of the the system.
1: Yeah, you are right. Actually, RBS was fined $102 by regulatory authorities. For making such a negligence that actually resulted in not loss of funds, but actually caused a huge damage to the users in the sense of delays and funds not being able to move and stuff like that. And that also brings us to the point like, why are blockchains also safety critical systems? Why do you think blockchains are also safety critical systems in comparison to like social media like Twitter or Facebook? Why are blockchains different?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the example of Royal Bank of Scotland, it's pretty obvious. Plus, there are other there are characteristics of blockchains which bring more value to them, but which need to be reliable, reliable and stable. For example, trustlessness is a core feature of a public blockchain, mm-hmm. like being able To work in a trustless manner and not depend on a third party, like we have seen it with the Royal Bank of Scotland, is a significant criteria for this decentralized financial system we are looking into. And blockchain technology has the potential to disrupt those traditional financial infrastructures, but only if they are stable, secure... And only in those sense, they are scalable. So if there is a system which is not secure and stable, it also cannot be scalable and like being mass adoption ready in the sense. So this is kind of the underlying foundation or prerequisite, which has to be fulfilled, I think.
1: Maybe we can go back to the actual definition of a safety critical system and say why blockchain is a safety critical system. Because according to the definition of safety critical system is a system that is essential for safety and well-being of human society. And the failure in such a system can cause huge, like damage to property, financial loss, a huge injury and death. So this financial loss and damage to property. So when coming back to blockchain, as you said, the main advantage that blockchain brings to the table is the trustlessness. So you, you, you don't need a third party or intermediaries to make this simple transaction to one person to another. It can then be elaborated to different use cases. But at the end of the day, trustlessness is the major quality of a blockchain. And that itself, as I said, will help to disrupt many potentially financial infrastructure. So that makes blockchains the future financial infrastructure of the world, open financial infrastructure, and that gives Blockchain, this quality of that makes blockchain the safety critical system. If you want to actually build your future open financial infrastructure on blockchains, these systems should be should meet the safety critical standards, right? So only then you can actually build any meaningful safety a mission critical app or any financial infrastructure on top of it. So, yeah, yeah so that actually tells you why blockchain is a safety-critical system. But as of now, we are not seeing this approach of a safety-critical system to the blockchain development, right? If you look at the blockchain yeah,
0: we... landscape.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. so,
0: It's really interesting. So it seems like being they don't see themselves as this major financial... Sorry, so, so maybe projects don't realize or layer one projects being the foundation for upcoming dApps and stuff like that financial products don't see themselves as a safety critical system. They see themselves more as an experiment Um, where you move uh, fast and break things.
1: It it also, so if you could go back to the fundamentals a bit. So Bitcoin, Bitcoin does one thing, only one thing. Sending, I can send Bitcoins to you. That means I can actually send you some value without the need of any intermediaries helping me to send value. you so this is one simple thing that bitcoin can do and it actually does it without any complications it always did it it never i mean in a simple and elegant way so if you can do implement this one feature in a safety critical way actually bitcoin actually suits the function but when you actually want to build a lot of complex infrastructure on top of it using complex logic then you still need a safety critical system with the same standards to build it. But the first one that actually innovated on top of Bitcoin, on top of, on the top of the idea of Bitcoin was Ethereum, right? Introduce smart contracts, introduce all these possibilities and like widen our imagination, widen our horizons of, and help us to, yeah.
0: If you, if you look into Bitcoin... It's like, you would also expect that your funds would be transferred safely. right. So also already Bitcoin should be accounted as like a safety critical system. So transferring funds from A to B is already something why you would trust and where your data should not be leaked or where your funds should not be transferred to some totally different address you never entered or something like that. So I think with this development, it already starts having this trustless environment where you can securely, safely transfer value from A to B. And this is where the idea starts. And they kept it like really simple, like keep it short and simple. You know, they just started with basics, transferring money from A to B. And now with the extension of this idea, having an like kind of mirroring the financial industry overall Mm -hmm. brings of course much more complexity. So with, with that in mind, The necessity to be secure, safe, and this idea of having a safety critical system is growing in importance, right? So with having much more complexity, much more features, functionalities, and services on top of this layer, the settlement layer, then it's much more important to have this perspective and this approach, this slow and steady, instead of this move fast and break things approach in mind, when you develop the
1: system, right? The first project that actually <laughs> innovated on top of the idea of Bitcoin was Ethereum. And it had it also had this move fast and break things approach. It never took this approach of slow and steady of a safety critical system because Ethereum itself was it built as a P or technology demonstrator or a prototype because there's this video that we will include in the description of Gavin Wood saying that, oh, we just wanted to build something and push it out as fast as possible and their focus was to eventually build Ethereum 2.0 as a better system, which they can eventually transform into. But this first, this prototype actually gained so much value so quickly, you know, through this all these experimentations. And then it was like, okay, now you build a system as an experiment, you build a system as a prototype. It suddenly, it accidentally gained so much value on top of it, how how are you going to make it secure? Because (laughs) every, so EVM is one of the, you know, source of all evil in the blockchain ecosystem. Like every hack, not every, like majority of the hack results from the insecurity or the vulnerabilities that EVM actually, you know, creates or it, it results from the vulnerabilities of the system, whole system. So if you take a look at the hacks and the vulnerabilities that, blockchain ecosystem was exposed to whether it is on ethereum whether it's on polygon whether it's on binance smart chain which is actually a copy of ethereum you know it is basically the insecurity of the fundamental system that gets exposed with every one of these hacks and there have been so, a few
0: there, ha- there have been some hacks right so <laughs> uh,
1: more more than some hacks and it happens every month or every at least some small hack, hack <laughs> happen and major hacks uh, happen multiple times a year. And if you if can take a look at these hacks and these vulnerabilities, I found a, a paper that was actually very good. So let's take a look at this. Security analysis of DeFi, vulnerabilities, attacks, and advances. So this paper was released in 2022 by Hainan University, China. And here we can see the analysis of vulnerabilities. How So summarizing the Threats in decentralized finance, you know, data security vulnerabilities, consensus mechanism vulnerabilities, smart contract vulnerabilities, application layer vulnerabilities, and uh, then they go into the analysis of attack events. So so they take each of these vulnerabilities, like one is like utilization of flash loans. That is one, one feature of this Ethereum smart contracts. And if you look at these big hacks that has happened... Because of this vulnerability, you can see how much, how like how many millions of dollars were lost in this because of these vulnerabilities. And next kind of vulnerability is like a private key leakage vulnerability. So if you if you look at what they are saying, Ethereum-based DeFi DApps need to interact with wallet like MetaMask, and Ethereum provides the API that enables this interaction. So attacker gets the private key of the original contract deployers or managers to control the contract or mint or transfer tokens to un- others under control. So here, because of such vulnerabilities, um, really big hack- hacks happened. And Ronin bridge hack was one of the biggest such hacks happened, which lost, uh, through this hack, almost 600 million was lost. And you can go through this list. There are like innumerable number of vulnerabilities and hacks and exp- You know, so, and if you look at this chart, you can see the vulnerabilities of Ethereum. So if you look at all these vulnerabilities, the basic thing, what we can understand is that you can't build, we can't build the future of finance on top of such a platform, which is actually susceptible to many vulnerabilities, many hacks. And it is, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. And, but... Already there is value accumulated on that system. So how to preserve those values? Sometimes the discussion becomes, okay, how are we going to protect this system? And the protection sometimes comes in the way of design choices that is is not well thought out. So basically looking at all these hacks and these events, one thing you can be sure that you can't build a safe and secure financial infrastructure on top of such a system, which is vulnerable to hacks and security flaws. And then you need an alternative system, right?
0: Yeah. So you can also see this move fast and break things approach, which is the Ethereum taking on their transition from proof of work to proof of stake. And with with the transition to this proof of stake based consensus algorithm, we see they don't follow like a systematic approach, but they don't follow up. They don't use a systematic approach at all.
1: So, so looking back to the systematic approach so transitioning from proof of stake to a proof of work to proof of stake as you said so you have an example with cardano which was designed to be a proof of stake system right so while transitioning uh, while transitioning from a federated state to decentralized state with proof of stake cardano had this incentivized testnet where basically they were trying to figure out how the system actually works in reality where you incentivize people to participate and proof of stake system is a system where people actually hold these coins and participate by either running a validator node or staking to that validator and it involves a lot of dynamics like a lot of social dynamics a lot of carrots and sticks ups or like you know a lot of incentives how you can drive particular behavior with incentive and stuff like that so you can actually learn a lot from such a system, right? That's what you, that's what a systematic approach looks like. But as you said, if you look at this transition from proof of stake, to proof of work to proof of stake in Ethereum's case, the transition was, there was no such incentivized testnet or any such environment where you can actually learn the behavior that these incentives or these features of the proof of stake that they are going to implement will actually result. What would result from all these features on all these incentives, this mixed bag of stuff, when we actually expose it to the real world, what is going to happen? And what do you think happened? Or like, at least what are you seeing happening after this transition?
0: I mean, the staking, what we can all observe is very much centralized. So in contrast to Cardano where we have any single stake pool operators helping to decentralize the network. Here, it's the, contr- the contrary is taking place. So we have like a very much centralized network because of like two to three leading centralized entities offering or meeting the requirements of staking. And then smaller individuals, of course, stake with those entities like Kraken or Coinbase, they offer the staking service. So instead of having a decentralized network with, with proof of stake, we see a much more centralized networks which, with high barriers to enter the decentralization or, or even to increase the degree of decentralization. So for me, it seems like decentralization is not even incentivized in this network.
1: No, it is not incentivized in this particular, with this particular features or, you know, that, or design choices they have. So if you look at slashing, so slashing uh, is a design choice, right? And this particular design choice does not have any scientific basic in a sense that the, it is still a matter of you know, a discussion where uh, even scientists don't really agree on that point or should be implemented or should be not. So if you look at chains that actually is being built by academics, like cardano Gorand. Or even Avalanche, with the team having an academic background, they don't have, they have not implemented slashing. But if you look at Ethereum, it has slashing. So, slashing in a way is a confession of building a fucked up system like now we have <laughs> uh, think about it now you have many
0: swear words in this episode here i think we need to cut this up. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: uh, no seriously come on like slashing is a confession that i have i'm borrowing it from one com- conversation i had with uh, lead time in the sense that uh, like slashing is a confession of building an insecure system that eventually ended up holding billions and billions of dollars of value so how are you going to make the si- system secure okay let's Slash validators who are participating and participating in the consensus of the system who are making a minor technical uh, changes and it, most of the slashings were not due to activity it was technical failures you know technical yeah. like it, it it was it was not intended to you know actually incentivize participation so you then you implement a, a design feature to protect the system. But it is actually resulting in decreasing the decentralization of the system. So, yeah. so that is, yeah. What do you think?
0: I mean, we just talked very much about Ethereum right now as the first layer one, like after Bitcoin, who adds a tri- like wants to add more, or is adding more value than just a simple transaction. But I think it's not limited to Ethereum. So as we look beyond that, there's, it's not just this one case. But I think other major layer ones are following this approach of move fast and break things. And we wrote about that also in our newsletter. I think it was back in April already. So also Solana is following this approach. If you see, so in August Solana got exploited and up to 6 million have been drained. And this was already, this was already the second hack this week after the Normand, Normand bridge, So you already said this happens multiple times, even a month. And that's because of their development choices. So if you go down here and we see the Solana co-founder, Yakovenko has a viewpoint, you have to kiss a couple of frogs in your design to ship stuff, which is Nothing else than in different words and saying we move fast and break things to ship without any, like, which shows how serious security liability and robustness aspects are taken when other people's money is in the game. So here we see they are rather trying to ship and ship and gaining in this way, like value to the overall system, but without any concerns of the collateral damage, which will be lead, like which we, which we can be which will be caused by that, so this is yeah, like you said it 's a dev- development ethos and a decision making when it comes to how to design and how to build a system and here we can see there was this video by the co founder where he describes their development ap- approach and they call the Cardano approach, they call it esoteric instead of a scientific or systematic, you know? So that really shows you cannot just take approaches which have been used successfully without doubt in Web2 Web, th- web two development and transition those ideas, philo- philosophies, methodologies without any doubt to a Web3 world no. where you want to really design like changing systems, financial changing systems. So this should be a revolution or evolution, maybe because of the time. It's not, <laughs> it's an evolution of the financial system we know, and this is not possible with such a move, move, move fast and break things approach. It's rather necessary to take this slow and steady development here because of the criticality of the underlying system and exactly. the importance of money and yeah. Funds on stake, affecting people's individual life in the sense, you know.
1: Exactly, people's money are at stake, and uh, nobody is going to build. So that that actually, we actually see this the effects of all this, right? There is not a single DApp in the entire blockchain landscape that has mass adoption or a reg- that actually used by regular people. So there, there is no such DApp. You can. Uh, Look into the whole blockchain landscape. You will never find one, and it is because of this this developmental philosophy being the you know being the core or of blockchain, DApp development that okay let's let's approach it the same way we approach web two development. Let's approach it the same way Elon Musk is changing features with Twitter. You know that's exactly how Solana approached it. I mean Ethereum did it in a way and Solana is Ethereum's approach to like move fast and break things on steroids. And yeah, it is. And you can all not only see in the DAP ecosystem, you can only actually see it in the, you know, distribution of Solana's layer one tokens. So Ethereum distribution is at least decentralized, you know, in a sense that its it has a wide distribution. But if you look at Solana. When you build a VC, like when VCs see, okay, we can make money from blockchain. So let's let's make this blockchain happen. Okay, let's make Solana. So then the majority of the, the fund providers or like the majority of the investors are VCs and they hold these tokens. For example, FTX was a was a big holder of Solana token. So, when you actually introduce such big entities into the base layer of a proof of stake system, where these tokens actually decide power in these proof of stake based blockchain consensus, then you are actually introducing these single points of failures. Like when any of these big entities goes down, the whole chain is exposed to that vulnerability too. We saw that with FTX, right? FTX actually held more than 13 percentage of the total Solana tokens in circulation, and that shows. Oh, now this fraud, like Sam Bankman fraud, like you know, he yeah <laughs> yeah it is
0: a... <laughs> yeah
1: he, he is a fraud, and because of this person, this whole chain as is exposed to some kind of vulnerability, right? So that shows you have to really put. Everything, a lot of thought into from the base layer, from the token distribution, to the design choices that you make, to the how to design your smart contracts. So a lot of thought has to go into building these systems Mm -hmm. because these are like safety critical systems. If you're building a financial infrastructure on blockchain, it is a safety critical system which needs a move slow and steady approach, and Mm -hmm. and that's why Cardano is an antithesis of move fast and break things. Right. What do you think about it? Cardano and move fast and break things. <laughs> it yeah. is a totally contrasting use right? That's
0: that's also why we started writing our newsletter in the first place. Right. That's why I, I remember last year when we were like starting to develop the framework, it was like, we, we started to dig into metrics to exactly look at those numbers. So how secure Is the blockchain, how scalable is it and how decentralized is it? Because when you look all over the place, last year there was a huge hype about Solana, you know, there was a huge hype about all those blockchains, but there was a framework missing telling you why. And is it really the case like that? And from this perspective... We looked at Solana and other layer ones and compared them to Ethereum, sorry, and compared them to Cardano, looking through the lens of the blockchain trilemma and from an objective point of view to see, okay, how decentralized, how secure, how scalable is the system really from a metric standpoint? And this was, yeah, this is where we started last year with just the metrics, which is now this week in Cardano, but we will continue to do those comparisons. But yeah, so that's what I think when it comes to Cardano and their development approach, because we were like, we wanted to know what is behind all the different layer ones and technical basement, ba- technical foundation. And yeah, to have those comparisons because nobody was talking about that in a clear, concise manner to easily understand those, yeah, underlying fundamentals i would say
1: yeah exactly and maybe this episode we talked a lot about move fast and break things and ethereum and solana and maybe next episode we can talk about how cardano is an antithesis of move fast and breaking how cardano yeah. is building a safety critical financial infrastructure so let's, yeah, let's th-
0: continue let's let's have a part one and part two maybe that would be yeah, great Yeah, that, that would be great <laughs> we'll continue here next week yeah and guys, if you want to know a little bit more about this approach and the like idea, you can read all this on Ada Pulse. There will be an article very soon wrapping it up for you. Okay. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed this little thought experiment we were doing here on a Sunday morning and sharing it with you on the channel. So give us feedback on the different kinds of content. And uh, yeah, this is also just an experiment. <laughs> but since we are not in a, a blockchain development, we can just move fast and break things and can try next week another one.
1: <laughs> exactly. No, this is uh, YouTube videos are not safety critical. <laughs> so we can try different... No safety uh, different... <laughs> here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Oh, great. Okay. So see you next Thank
0: week. Thank you already. And...